what makes an action sinful. Is it the action itself or the heart behind it that makes it sinful? King David learned the answer the hard way. And today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how it happened, how the benign act of taking a census became stained by the sin of a king's pride. Continuing his series, The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, Counting Noses. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are coming down to the end of the month of July, which means, as you know, um, we're about at the end of telling you about the July resource, which this month has been a book by Tara Lee Cobble called The God Shot, 100 Snapshots of God's Character in Scripture. And I have to tell you, this this is um, not very um, scientific to say this. This is just a cool little book. It really is, because you can read uh, the portion for each day in about 90 seconds. And in that time, you can learn a very special uh, attribute of God, a very special thing about God's nature that will make you want to know him more and love him more and worship him more. So this book, uh, it's it's a hardback gift book with a beautiful cover, and it's yours for the asking during the rest of July when you send a gift to Turning Point. Send a gift of any size and then ask for the book, The God Shot, and we will send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in the ministry of Turning Point. Well, we're down to uh, some of the final lessons in this story, and today is part one. We've called this Counting Noses. Here we go. That for which we often work and sacrifice and strive can put us in a position of great jeopardy. Men at the top have a hard time staying there with integrity. Whatever else you may think of the man we have committed our study time to over these past weeks, You'll have to admit that David's tenure at the top was fraught with many disappointments and disillusionments. In fact, one writer that I read has called this chapter in David's life David's final folly, which would give rise to the fact that there had been many before this one, and as we know, there were. Yet at the same time, he was a man after God's own heart and a man that God used abundantly through his charisma and creativity to provide for us the hymn book of the Bible. And a great example of a man who in his own life had a struggle with what he believed and how he behaved, but nonetheless was a man after God's own heart. In this episode of his life that we are studying today, we are overrun with mystery. It is a strange episode, even though the details are very simply understood. It happened at the conclusion of one of the most important campaigns in David's military life. If you read the 20th chapter of 1 Chronicles, you will discover that once again he has entangled himself with Gath and the descendants of Goliath, and he has been victorious over them. And it is not incidental that the first word of chapter 21 is the word and. Having had all of those victories, we read, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. Now in the chapter that we are going to study briefly today, we have a number of key thoughts. The first one being the command that defiled Israel in verses 
1, 2, and 3. Notice, and it came to pass that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. Now, if you've read the history of the Old Testament, you know this is not the first time the people of Israel were numbered. God commanded Moses to number them in the first chapter of Numbers. It was as they were encamped in the wilderness. In the 26th chapter of the book of Numbers, when they were handing out the allotments for the land of Canaan, once again a census was taken so that the people could be determined by allotment for the settling of the land. But after the land was settled, we have never read again of God telling the people to take a census of Israel. After Israel was settled in the land of Canaan, that command was never again given. The purpose of the command was, in its original giving of the command, was to ascertain the number of fighting men who could go out before Israel and defend her national integrity. But now that David is king, there is no such instruction given. The action that David took when he sent out the military to take a census of Israel was an action that grieved the Lord. In fact, if you will look down in your Bibles at the seventh verse, you will discover that God was displeased with this thing and he smote Israel. While we may not understand all that we should in this action, we must understand one thing absolutely, and that is that David sinned in doing this. David confessed that it was sin, God said that it was sin, and the sin was punished when 70,000 new graves were dug within a short period of time because of David's disobedience. The question is not whether David sinned. The question is, what was it about his action that was sinful? And of course, many scholars have debated this issue and there are many ideas about why David was wrong in numbering the people. Some have said that his sin was one of unbelief. That by numbering the people, he was saying in essence that he did not believe the promises that God had given to Abraham. That Abraham would be blessed with an inheritance and a people that were beyond numbering as the sands of the sea or the stars of the sky. Still others have said that David's sin was one of presumption. That there was nothing wrong with numbering the people but that he did it without asking God first. And if you have listened carefully as we've studied David's life, you know that was one of his propensities. He often struck out on his own, doing his own thing, and he paid heavily for it. Still others have pointed to an Old Testament text in the 30th chapter of Exodus and have said that David's sin in numbering the people was that he did not exact from the people the census tax which the law prescribed The law prescribed that when a census was taken among Israel, they were to take a half shekel from each individual as an evidence that they acknowledged the atonement of the Lord in their behalf. And there is no indication that in this census of Israel that David exacted the census tax. Now I suppose any of these or all of these explanations would be plausible, but I do not believe the ultimate answer is found in any of them. I think in order to understand the sin of David in this regard, we have to look back on the context in which this occurred. 
This event occurs at the end of the most prosperous and successful period in David's reign as the king of Israel. We've skipped over a lot of the chapters before 1 Chronicles 21 or 2 Samuel 24. They run uh, one right after the other in describing David's accomplishments. All of his enemies had been put to the sword, especially the Philistine army, those pesky renegades that had dogged Israel all of David's career. Even the sons of Goliath and his other uh, relatives had now come against David. And in 1 Chronicles 20, David has defeated Goliath's people. The Bible goes on to say in these chapters that David could now boast of garrisons that were in Damascus. He had subjugated the Syrians and the Edomites as slaves. Huge quantities of gold were transferred from the subjugated people into David's bank account. 1 Chronicles 14, 17 says this, And the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. David was a household word. He was at the zenith of his success. He was the number one reigning king in the world. And all of this had happened to him in a very brief period of time when he had recovered from his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. One author that I read this week has described this period of time in David's life like this. Triumphs had been gained and arrests attained such as Israel had never known before. The sword was sheathed and the reign of Solomon, the prince of peace, was at hand. The ark of God was no longer to dwell in curtains. The temple was about to be built. Israel was gathered there in solemn and associated worship and God's house was to be filled with his glory. It was a bright and blessed era over which David presided. It was precisely at this time in the twilight of his career at the close of the glory days of David's leadership that the scripture says, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number the people. David's numbering of the people was a sin of pride. It was an attempt on his part to total up his accomplishments. It smacks of ownership. These were not David's people. They were the Lord's people. It is important to understand that. And when the Lord gave instruction concerning the census, he protected his own honor in the law of Exodus 30 by requiring that whenever the census was taken, they were to exact a half shekel tax from each individual as a visual reminder that they were only there because of the atoning work of God in their behalf. But David undertook the census without any taxation. He counted up the people and please note that the first verse of 1 Chronicles 21 gives Satan full credit for the idea. We should not be surprised at that because pride was the characteristic sin of Satan. He was just trying to get David to do what he had done and to live as he had lived. If you read 2 Samuel 24, I need to warn you that 2 Samuel 24 says that God allowed all of this to happen. And some have said that 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21 are in conflict with one another, but you need not believe that. God is the superintendent of the whole universe, and if he chooses to use Satan in the accomplishment of his purposes, even of judgment, don't be surprised. He used donkeys to do that. He can surely use Satan. 
Well, the command went out from David to go and number the people. The second thing you notice is the counsel that could have saved Israel. David gave the instruction to Joab, and in verses 3 through 6, we are told that Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? I love Joab. I think we ought to have a message on Joab somewhere in this process. Joab was that unfortunate individual who stood directly underneath King David and put up with all of his craziness when he wasn't walking with God. It was Joab who got the letter from the hand of Uriah to send Uriah to the forefront of the battle so that he would be killed. Joab saw through that whole situation, but he was a man under orders and he had no choice but to obey. Finally, after watching David do all of these crazy things, we observed in another message that he had had it up to here with the craziness of David's children. And so when David said, don't do anything to my son Absalom, it was Joab who went out. And while Absalom was hanging from the tree by his hair, Joab put him out of his misery. And now it's Joab, poor Joab, who's been given the assignment to carry out the fleshly desires of David in accumulating the numbers of the people who were under David's reign. It's interesting that Joab said, I don't think you should do this. And I love the way he said it. David, I pray that the people of Israel will be a hundred times more than they are as long as you're alive. But what difference does it make? Don't get caught up in this exercise of futility. And if you read the text carefully, you'll discover that out of obedience to David, Joab carried out the assignment. And he went from Dan to Beersheba, numbering all the tribes. But there's an interesting little incident at the end of the sixth verse. Notice what it says. But Levi and Benjamin, Joab did not count, for the king's word was abominable to him. In other words, almost out of somewhat disobedience. He said, I'll do it all, but I'm not doing these last two. This thing stinks. Basically, that's the thought of the passage. Isn't it interesting that a pagan world man, for we have no idea that Joab was a great and godly man. Here is David being warned by his general not to carry out this action which he determined to carry out. It's another reminder, and I keep seeing this over and over again in David's life. Every time he tried to step out of the way, God always warned him. And David not only did the thing, but he stepped over a warning to do it. Remember when he saw Bathsheba? And he called his servant and he said, go get her and bring her here. And the servant said to David, is she not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David heard, but he didn't hear. He said to Joab, go number the people. And Joab said, hey, David, don't do this. You don't need to do this. Listen, you've got so many people and I hope they're multiplied. But don't curse Israel with this action. And the key word is verse 4, which says, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. And Joab departed and did the king's bidding. Sad is the man who has gathered around him good people to help him see his faults and his potential error. And then when those good people speak up, he ignores their counsel. In essence, what this teaches us is that David had set himself up to be accountable to no one. And therefore, when danger lurked and he was warned against it, he was in such a place of power 
that he could do nothing about it. Well, the consequences that fell upon Israel are recorded for us in verses 7 through 14, and this surely is a strange set of events. The Bible says that God was displeased with this thing, and he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I've sinned greatly because I've done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spoke unto Gad, who was the prophet. He was Nathan's successor, if you want to think of it that way. Nathan came before Gad. Gad followed Nathan as the prophet to David. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's prophet, saying, Go and tell David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, choose thee, three years of famine, three months to be destroyed before your enemies, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Choose what I shall do unto you, and tell me so I can go back and give a report. I thought as I read this, I have always hated multiple choice tests. You know, I have, I, and you know, as far as I know, this is the only place in the Bible where God gave anyone a, a multiple choice test as to their punishment. You got three things you can do, David, and you can choose which one you want. It's interesting that God would do this, and more than one writer has discussed this whole concept of the multiple choice sin test. David honestly confesses his sin before the Lord, and then he's given these options. One man that I read said that God, in fact, it was Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said God did this for four reasons. One, to humble David for his sin. For he not only had to look at one penalty, he had to look at all of the penalties that God thought would be just in dealing with what David had done. Now you look at that list, and those are some awesome things. I mean, to be defeated by all your enemies for a period of time, all three of those things, any one of which would be frightening, but God said any one of these things would be just due for what you did, David. You need to realize how sinful this has been in my eyes. Secondly, Henry says that God did it to punish him for his pride. God said, in essence, to David, you want to make all the decisions? You want to do stuff without asking me? All right, I'll give you a decision to make. Here's three things. Choose which one you want. Thirdly, Matthew Henry said he did it to help him endure the punishment since when he got in the midst of it, he would have to remember that it was his own choice. Sort of like what happens when we punish our children. Have you ever asked your teenager when they haven't gotten home on time or haven't done something else that you've asked them to do, what do you think we should do about this? And usually they will think for a while and they may even come up with something more stringent than what you had thought. And once they are under the punishment that they have designed, they have to close their mouths for any complaining because they're the ones who came up with the idea. The fourth thing is, this whole concept would once again try David's heart and make him consider what he had done. And when David selected the third punishment, I believe it was providential. You know why? For two reasons. First of all, his sin had been public in numbering the people, and now the punishment was going to be public. And secondly, think of this for a moment. His sin was pride, the pride of numbering the people. And now God was going to fix it so he didn't have as many people to number as he used to. He subtracted 70,000 from the number through the pestilence. God has an uncanny way of coming right at the core of what we do. And even in the punishment, making us remember the sin that we have been involved in so we can learn and profit from it. That brings us to number four, the confession that saved Israel. Notice verses 15 through 17. 
The Bible says that the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel. There fell of Israel 70,000 men. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, and he was destroying. And the Lord beheld, and he repented of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. David finally comes to grips again with the magnitude of what he has done. And the scripture says that he confessed his sin. Please note the progress that David is making in his analysis of his own conduct. In verse 17, at the end of the verse, he says... I pray thee, O Lord my God, let this be on me and on my father's house, but not on, and we would expect to think, to find there the words my, but not on my people, but the word is, but not on thy people. When he numbered the people, he considered them his own, but now through the penalty that he's experiencing and the pain of watching God take the lives of people he loved, he realizes that part of his sin is the sin of a pronoun. There are a lot of sins in the pronouns these days when people have been blessed of God and all of a sudden at the zenith of their blessing they forget that from which they have been taken themselves and they forget the source of their own blessing. I am always embarrassed when I'm with pastors and they talk about my church and my people and these are my ministries. God forgive us when we slip up and say that. It sometimes comes about because we identify ourselves so much with the work of our lives that it's hard to separate the two. But it's good for us to remember that the work of God that he has put into our hands as spiritual leaders is not our work. We started a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana from, as you know, just a group of seven families and saw that thing explode in just a few years. And when we were Considering coming here, we heard people say, well, if Jeremiah ever leaves that church, a thing will fold up. And you know what? When I left, it got bigger. I got out of the way and God really blessed it. You know what? You know how important I am to the work of God? Let me tell you. You put your finger in a bucket of water and pull it out and the vacancy you leave is how important you are. And I'm not saying that to be falsely humble. I'm just saying when we get caught up in the pronoun, we are in danger. And that's what caused David's fall in the first place. It's interesting to see he's making progress. He switched from my to thy. Good word, David. Hmm. Well, it is interesting, isn't it, that oftentimes we uh, as pastors talk about our church or our ministry or our book or whatever, when it, it really isn't ours. If we're the Lord's, it belongs to him. And we're his stewards representing him. And, and I know that can be taken to an extreme. I think David shows us the problem when we are more concerned about how many we have as opposed to what God is doing in our lives. We'll have some more about this tomorrow as we continue our discussion of the life of David in the series, The Tender Warrior. Uh, We aren't uh, far from the end of this series, so uh, friends, you don't want to uh, wait much longer if you haven't ordered the resource for the month of July. 
the resources, a book called The God Shot by Tara Lee Cobble. And it's a beautiful little book about God and 90-second readings that tell you uh, about God and tell you things you don't know. Uh, it's really interesting. It, you cannot read this book and not know more about God than you did when you started. And it's a beautiful gift book. It will enhance your walk with the Lord. It will add value to your life. And we'd like you to have your copy. Here's how you get a copy. You send a gift to Turning Point before the calendar turns over and ask for the book when you do it, and it'll be sent to you by return mail. Friends, we have been telling you every day about Israel because Israel is filling up um, as I speak. If you plan to go with us, the dates are March the 12th through the 22nd next year. Uh, we're going to see Galilee, Jerusalem, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, Masada, all the special places. And there's room for you now. And there's rooms for you in Israel now, but they won't be there for very long. So make sure you get registered. And we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about Him, but they don't truly know Him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about His eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. In 1812, a fire destroyed the books, research materials, and printing presses of William Carey in India. The loss of years of labor. A century later in New Jersey, a fire destroyed the million-dollar laboratory of Thomas Edison. Guess how the two men responded? They both responded exactly alike. 
they began rebuilding the next day to continue with the work they felt called to do. How easy would it have been for either man to give up after seeing a lifetime's labors destroyed? But what good would that have accomplished? If you experience a major setback in your life, do what they did. Begin again. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to work on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.